You're listening to Your Jewish Life Your Way with Karen Cinnamon, the podcast that explores what it feels like to be Jewish or Jewish in 2022. On the show, we divulge all of the secrets and know how to being confident in celebrating and living your Jewish life your way with easy, simple ways to embrace your mishpacha through the traditions and rituals you've been dying to learn more about. So save your kvetching. We are talking less Jewish guilt and more Jewish joy here on out. Yalla, forget about the right and wrong ways to be Jewish. It's time to create a Jewish life you love living. Welcome to today's episode. And you know me, I am all about the fun side of Judaism, the Jewish joy. And so it's about time I had the incredible from Jewish Black Boy on my podcast. Now he's been on my list of guests I've wanted to have on the podcast since we started almost a year ago. But when I got to meet him in person in Israel earlier this year, all my from Jewish Black Boy dreams came true. He is just such a wonderful personality, so much to learn from Tony, and just it's a joy to be in his company. So I had to get him on not long after I came back from Israel, and we had a great time together. This episode, not only will it put a big smile on your face, you'll also lean into your authentic self that little bit more after listening to today's episode because well Tony is all about sentiments like this this is one of my favorite sound bites from from today's episode he says why be a second-rate version of someone else when you can be a first-rate version of yourself and you can't argue with that can you you can't argue with that Tony is so full of enthusiasm for joyful non-judgmental Judaism and The fact that he's an orthodox, queer, black, Jewish person, yet still lives his most authentic Jewish life with, as I'm sure you can imagine, so much judgment around him is just so much to learn from Tony. So much so that he's coming into my Smashing Life community this week and doing a special masterclass just for them, which uh, I promise to tell you a bit more about over on Instagram after masterclass. But for today, you can soak him all up to yourself in this very special episode with Tony, otherwise known as From Jewish Black Boy, the TikTok superstar. So off we go. So Tony is so fun to be kind of almost together in the same room, right? We were together in the same room for what was it, three or four days yeah. in the same city. And I think the last, my last memory of you was on Purim night in Tel Aviv and we were just having a blast weren't we we absolutely were I I loved it Purim and Purim is one of my favorite holidays and being able to celebrate it with you and everyone else in Tel Aviv was absolutely magical I feel like we're giving the listeners really bad FOMO but I mean <laughs> what we'll do I might actually link in the show notes to 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 the reel I made from the Jews Talk Justice program that Tony and I were lucky enough to be part of because there were a few snippets of our Purim together. It was just so fun. Yeah, I wanted to chat with you today just to bring your fabulousness to the forefront, maybe find out some things about you that I didn't already know, just because I'm that kind of person. And I would love to be able to talk a little bit about Jews of Color as well. I think a lot of us want to learn a bit more about, you know, that element of your identity as well as all the other bits that make up Tony, the from Jewish black boy. (laughs) So I've got to start with what inspired you to start that account? It's a very explicit name. You know, where did the name come from? What are your goals with with the content? Absolutely. So the content, the name really just comes from who I am as a person. I am an Orthodox, queer, black, Jewish person living and existing in the world. And it really started out, the TikTok account started out sort of as a joke. I work for Hillel and I created the account sort of in the midst of lockdown and quarantine here in America in the early days of the pandemic, mostly to see what my students were doing, what they were looking at, what they were interested in as a way to really connect. Because at that point, everyone had been sent off to their respective homes uh, and it wasn't clear when or if we were going to be able to come back to campus. And so it, it really started off as a joke. And I immediately found myself losing hours <laughs> of just like lying in bed, swiping, 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 
or my students would send me videos and I was like, these videos make no sense. I don't understand why, why all these people are dancing, you know, what's, what is this, but it was so addictive. And I, I made one video. I think my first video was right around Rosh Hashanah, me finding uh, my Mahsarim, uh, my high holiday books, um, and just like did a little dance and it, it got a couple thousand views. And I was like, oh, this, this might be something. It's so funny. I mean, like people kind of landing on Earth from another planet, hearing you say that, and just think, what are they talking about? That's sort of how it started. When you say it was a bit of a joke, what do you mean? Was it more of like an experiment? Did you think I'll just do a couple of TikToks and then get back to normal life? What were you thinking when you started? So I never thought I would actually make a TikTok. I say it was a joke because my students were like, oh, you've got to join you know, everyone who's anyone is on TikTok these days. And the folks that I work with here kept saying, oh, have you heard about this TikTok thing? And I was just like, no, I, we have real issues to deal with. We're in a global pandemic. I don't have time to lose sort of out in the, the internet doing crazy things or watching random videos. But I saw that my students were using it as a, as a real piece of escapism. They were really using it to take away from the very serious, very painful, traumatic part of history that we're all sort of living through right now um, and really tapped into to something. Uh, I would say the first wave of videos that I was seeing were a lot of sort of the, the silly dances. And I saw SJ Rachel and they are, a, they're another Jewish content creator. And Rachel just produces really great, fantastic Jewish, humorous, educational content. And I kept seeing that they were posting and getting a ton of views and I, it, it was just something that I just wanted to try out and then found there was clearly a community there. There was clearly a group of people that really wanted to see themselves represented. And so I, I made one TikTok, it got a few views, and then I made another one. And I think my, my big one at the time was the Yom Kippur song that Ben Platt had done two or three years prior. Uh, and I was just sitting out here uh, under our tents at work. Uh, and I just, I made it. I didn't think anything about it, just made it and posted it right before Yom Kippur, turned my phone off because I'm observant. And I got a slack from my boss who said, what does it feel like to be a, a superstar? And I was like, what are you talking about? And so I logged back into TikTok and saw that it had over 80,000 views. Wow. I mean, the first time I'd, I heard of you was when a colleague of mine, Sam, who works on the Your Jewish Life content team, she's, when we were starting the podcast uh, back in the summer of last year, summer of 21, she said, you've got to get from Jewish Black Boy on. He's really funny and entertaining. And it's just, you bring a sort of lightness to the conversation, which that escapism that you talked about in TikTok from, you know, the real world issues. And is that your sort of what you're comfortable with? Do you like that you're, you know, that that kind of silly side to all the seriousness? And what is it that's got you hooked that you're still not only doing it, what, a year or two years later, but, you know, you've got a following and a community and I know opportunities have, have arisen, no doubt, you know, being on the podcast with me is just so much fun for me to have met you. And I'm sure many other people have that reaction as well. So is that lightness part of it? Again, what are you sort of trying to do with the content or is it just about having a good time? So for me, it's, it's really mostly about having a good time. If I can help people make connections to their Judaism, if I can help them really see themselves in someone who looks differently or might have a different story than themselves, I'm a Jewish educator by trade. And so I really my sort of personal mission in life is to help people make meaningful, sustainable connections to their, their Judaism, to their Jewish identity, and recognizing that that looks differently for, for everyone. Um, a lot of the work that I, I do sort of for the jobs that pay the bills, right, is really serious work. It's Jewish community building. It's talking about Jedi work, justice, equity, diverse, diversity, inclusion, it sounds so much cooler than just DEI. So I like yes, to call it, it Jedi does. work. I like that. Um, it's, it's really heavy, heavy stuff when you're trying to you know, dismantle racism and you're trying to make the world a more just and equitable place. Um, and so for me, I, I like to think of myself as sort of a very silly person. But I think often when people meet me, they see this very sort of stone and stoic sort of figure. And that's sort of the professional side of Tony, because I'm very serious about my work. Even if I was a, a baker, baking cakes was my profession, I would be very serious about that. But I also have this very silly side. And I know 
that life isn't always, it's not always very, you know, fun. It's not always very serious. And so I try to take a lot of those aspects and throw that into, into the work. I absolutely love that. And do the two worlds collide? Have you had sort of insight and comments and conversations on TikTok and Instagram that have informed your serious work, for want of a better word, and vice versa? Absolutely. Um, so I, I currently work for Hillel at Washington University here in St. Louis, Missouri. Go Bears. <laughs> That's our, our mascot. One of the students ran into me yesterday and was like, and I like didn't get it. And I was like, oh, right, because we're, we're the Bears. Um, <laughs> and so in my role here, I really track our student engagement. So I get to see who's showing up for what programs, how are people connecting, what are they not connecting to, and I think one of the things that sort of the organized slash traditional Jewish community here in America really misses, there's always this conversation of how do we get more young people to come to our programs? How do we get butts and seats at synagogues? And I think it's a conversation that many communities aren't ready to have of this generation. They aren't so attached to the synagogue. They're not so attached to JCCs or traditional Jewish spaces. And they really like sort of these pop-up shops, pop-up moments uh, and ways for them to, to build community. And so I see different things that are happening on social media, or I, I see the conversations that are happening between different creators, you know, in the comments, I, I try very hard not to read a lot of comments sometimes, because it, it's either really good, or it's just totally just off the rails crazy. And really taking out those gems to say, okay, this is what I am seeing on social media. This is what, you know, all, all of the young people are posting about. And how can we help them have those experiences, make them Jewish experiences, and make that something that they see as a sustainable Jewish act that they can then go off and create? I love that. So what are that? What are how how do you bridge that? Because obviously hanging out on TikTok, consuming Jewish content is one of life's great Jewish joys, you know. But how do you get, you know, bums on seats, as you say in synagogue? Have you found the or community centers, is there a sort of magic formula that you're that you're finding? So I haven't found the formula. I'm slightly, and this might get me canceled, I'm slightly against the getting butts and seats sort of model. This, if you build it, they will come. Because we, at least in my work, I, I know it isn't true in the way that it might've been true for my generation, for your generation, for our parents' generation. The Jewish community is really changing. And I think the community, the established community really needs to recognize that and not see it as a threat. Uh, the number of conversations I've had with, you know, really big donors, really big organizations where they feel so threatened that, you know, there's a new sort of pop-up Jewish community with a bunch of 20-something year olds happening in their neighborhood that they can't figure out why they won't come to synagogue. And I'm like, instead of saying, you know, why aren't you coming? You should be asking, how can we support you? Can we sponsor a dinner? Do you need prayer books? Do you need board games? You know, it's, I think, really meeting people where they are in their Judaism is so central to the work that I do, both professionally and personally. And it's, there's just, there's something there that I, I, I think people just sort of miss or they dismiss as like, oh, this is what the young people, or I don't know why I keep saying young people. No, because it's, it's because not, that's how the older generation see they say, how yeah. do we get the young people involved? <laughs> yeah. I totally, what you're saying, I've heard it a million times as well. Um, and I, I, yeah. Um, and I, I would say that the older, older generation, when they were younger, I can guarantee you their parents and grandparents and the community members of the time were saying the exact same thing about how they might have been showing up in spaces with their Jewish identity, right? So if we look at the early 1900s here in America, I'll just use the Lower East Side as a, an example. You have wave after wave of European Jewish immigrants, many of them Yiddish speakers and religiously observant. And within one generation, you see sort of the shift from folks who were previously religious <laughs> and you see that their kids are now, you know, they're working in the stores and the stores are staying open on Shabbat or they aren't keeping as strictly kosher as they might have before. And I can imagine that the older generation had this fear that, you know, they're becoming too American, they're becoming too assimilated, assimilated they're becoming too, yeah. you know, not, not Jewish. Um, and the reality is that throughout Jewish history, this is what we have always done. I never want to say, you know, we've always done it this way. It works. Let's keep doing it. But in this one instance, it's it's so true. 
it's it like it's so ingrained in Jewish tradition in our text in our our cultural practices um, so much so that I don't think people even notice it but it, it's it's true we every generation interprets the text interprets tradition differently and tries to apply it for the moment in which they are living I love that and there's you know I'm sure you see it on your Instagram and TikTok we certainly see it where we're coming from on my Instagram this kind of resistance to sort of Judaism evolving and you know modernizing or adjusting to fit into 21st century living and there's always this sort of fear of kind of it's got to stay exactly as it is or it will fall apart and you know I'm very much of the head of you know Judaism has to evolve to stay relevant and and it's it's a positive how do you feel about that? I love it um, for me it just makes it just makes sense nothing is ever stagnant nothing is ever the same um oh i i just heard a really wonderful story this this past passover i had the opportunity to be with some really lovely friends uh, and her parents and the mom was just talking about you know this really beautiful seder that they had you know as a child and you know she she went into the kitchen and, and worked with her grandmother you know making this really delectable borscht and, you know, one of the key things to that soup was, I, I think, like seltzer water. And she had to make the seltzer water herself, whatever that means. Uh, and so when the mom, you know, became of age and was a young mother herself, the grandmother had passed away. And she was trying to figure out how to sort of recreate that recipe and realized grandma wasn't making seltzer water. She was like going to the store and getting it. And so that gave her like this permission of like, oh, you know, she's been racking her brain to say, you know, I've, I've got to do everything the exact same way that, you know, grandma did. And to come to find out that grandma was, you know, smart, modern woman, taking all the shortcuts that any normal sane person would. And so just like, I think in Judaism, we often, at least in, from my perspective, we often have this, this ideal of this is how we do things. There's no changing it. And then you see a few years, maybe a full generation later, that someone has taken whatever that Jewish thing is, and they've just tweaked it so slightly so it's a little more accessible, it's a little more nuanced, it's a little more in vogue. I think a great example of this is our good friend Jake Cohen and what he did with his cookbook Jewish, taking very traditional recipes and really bringing them, I would say, into the 21st century really making them modern, really making them, I wouldn't say making them relevant, but like bringing it to the the top of people's inboxes for that that cultural moment of like, ah, I, I remember growing up and eating this for Passover. And, you know, my grandma did all of these crazy things in the kitchen to get it ready. And he now has a re recipe that's incredibly accessible, that's incredibly easy. And it's got a nice, fantastic little story to go along with it. He also makes things fun and colorful. And that's the thing, like, being Jewish can be fun, but you know, it's, yes. it's a mitzvah to be, to experience joy on the holidays and indeed all year round. And I think, you know, we're sometimes so enrolled in sort of Jewish guilt and trauma that we forget about the fun side. And I also love that Jewish food isn't beige anymore. It's colorful, <laughs> you know, and it can be beautiful. And, and again, this sort of Jewish TikTok food world is just brimming with fun and color and sprinkles and all, and all sorts. Um, <laughs> so would you say that ties in like, just what does your Jewish life, your way mean to you? For me, it really means building a life that is accessible, that is sustainable. I lived in Israel for, for almost four years, made Aliyah. Any chance I get, I am spending a significant amount of time there. My parents don't, don't like it so much because they're like, well, why aren't you taking us? But it's a different <laughs> story. And for me, when I when I think about that that phrase, it really means doing Jewish in a way that makes sense for me, even if there are other people that are in the Jewish community that are saying, well, that's not Jewish. That's not how you light Shabbat candles. That's not how you keep kosher. That's not how you do all of these traditional Jewish things. As an observant person, I love tradition. It really gives me structure. It gives me a foundation for my life. And it can also be incredibly isolating. I'm in St. Louis. We have a population of, I'd say, roughly 75,000 Jews. There are two kosher restaurants, and we have a kosher caterer for that entire population, which I think speaks volume to 
the diversity of the population. We have a huge Orthodox population here, and yet we only have those, you know, handful of options for us to go out to eat and sort of feel like everyone else sort of feels. And so for me, it's, I love the tradition. It, it really makes sense for me. It makes sense for how I want to live my life and the life that I want to build. But I also recognize, and I, I know that Jewish tradition and practice also gives space to this, that not everyone is doing everything the exact same way. And I love, love bringing this. There's a, there's one of, one of the more traditional practices or prohibitions uh, on Shabbat uh, is the act of, of ripping or tearing. And so you have lots of folks in the Orthodox world who pre-tear toilet paper so that they aren't actively breaking Shabbat by tearing the already perforated toilet paper. Uh, and I've been to a number of my friends' houses to see that there are people where the toilet paper is just on the roll. There are people that have, I, I kid you not, they have kosher for Shabbat, Passover, uh, not Passover, but kosher for Shabbat, pre-torn toilet paper. Wow. Uh, it comes in like these little fancy jeweled boxes and you think it's Kleenex, but it's, it's actually just for that purpose. And seeing that like, even when within sort of an Orthodox world where I think most people would say, oh, everyone who's in this community is the same. Even within those different households, you see that people are doing things differently. And yet, like, they're not calling each other out saying, well, well you're tearing toilet paper to wipe your butt on Shabbat. And you're not, you know, it's not, it's <laughs> not that at all. That's a brilliant I, story. Yeah. Yes, there's so much judgment that is, for me, one of the n- negatives on my Instagram account, I'm sure you you experience some of that as well. You know, one of my missions is to sort of and not end judgment. I'm not that um, unrealistic, but <laughs> you know, show that you know people doing things differently. It's not we're not bad. You know, the good Jew and the bad Jew. You know, but I'd like to hear a little bit more about what you were saying about you know it can feel really isolating. Do you have a community in St. Louis? Like, what do you consider your Jewish community, or or is it pissed? pieced around like what's your what's your community as it were so i i feel like i do have a community here um the saint louis jewish community is is fairly large and i'd like to think it's more diverse than it probably really is Uh, but i exist in this very gray space of being very traditionally observant i would i would say orthodox uh, but i'm also like i live in the modern world and i'm fiercely egalitarian and so while some of my Orthodox male friends might take issue with women, I think taking a, an active or a more public visible role in sort of communal leadership or prayer, I, I don't. Um, and so that like puts me sort mm-hmm. of on the outs with lots of different people who can't quite figure it out, who really want to say, well, Tony, you fit these three boxes. So that means that you are X. When I can be both X, Y, Z, yeah, and you, like a smiley face. You weren't born to blend in and fit into a box, Tony. Exactly. <laughs> you are not a box or three boxes exactly. for that matter. So you almost celebrate your identity, don't you? That you are, mm-hmm. you are, not, I don't know whether confidence is the right word, but I'll use it for the moment, like confident enough to live your authentic life, you know, and it does bother some people. They can't put you into the right boxes. But I love that. So what? What advice would you give to somebody who's struggling to feel authentically Jewish or authentic for that matter? (laughs) I would say there are a rare select group of people who I think feel authentically themselves 100% of the time and recognizing. So that's, that's sort of thing. Number one, I'd say number two is recognizing that, you know, you're not the only person who's feeling who's feeling that. I think in the world of social media, particularly Instagram and, and TikTok, people are really curating what they're putting out there, you know, so it appears that everyone is having this majestic, beautiful, unproblematic life. And we know that that's just not how life works. <laughs> I mean, I yes, I again, I feel like there are maybe a handful of people on earth who are living in sort of this utopia, but they are really far and few between. And I would encourage people to find that one thing about themselves that they really love, that they really want to uplift and to like wear it as a, a badge of pride when they leave the house. I have a lot of moments in my day when I hate the way that my hair looks. I hate the way, you know, I, I've got a pimple on my face or you know, I, I need to lose weight or I need to do X, Y, and Z. And 
at the end of the day, recognizing that many of those things don't actually matter. No one else is actually looking and saying, oh, well, Tony wore this this red shirt today, but we were all wearing green. So he's now out of the club. Like a lot of it's in my head. And I like to think lots of people are like me. Again, I know that's not true, but I'm constantly having this inner dialogue of like, oh, well, I, you know, I, I made this one little mistake and so many people are going to see it. Or, you know, I... I didn't do this correctly or, you know, I, I, I'm black. And so every time someone sees me, they're only seeing, you know, and the reality is, yes, there are some people that are actively looking for the little cracks in our surfaces to really point out and try to beat down because it's something that they feel insecure about and recognizing that really, at, for me, at the end of the day, I have to answer, I'd say really to three people, my mom, God, and myself. And like, if you're not one of those three entities, you can say some things that are hurtful, but at the end of the day, like you're not, you're not paying my bills. You don't live with me. You don't have any real sort of influence on my life. And so I, I really try to live as authentically as possible, which isn't always easy. But the moments that I try to be someone else or that I, you know, put on some sort of mask to not be Tony, I feel so terrible about it sort of the rest of the time that I'm just like, oh, that's, that's too much work. And like really at the core of it, I'm, I'm pretty lazy. So like anything that's, <laughs> that's more work, <laughs> I, I don't want to do. And mm-hmm. why, why pretend to be, why try to be, you know, a second rate version of someone else when you can be the best version of yourself? Oh my God. I love that. <laughs> We're going to be taking some sound bites of that. I absolutely <laughs> love that. And yeah, I think it just comes back to reaching a point in your life where you don't care that much what other people think. It's like you say, you pinned it to three people. Those are those people's opinions matter to you, and everyone else is, you know, the way I see it. People are going to have a pin, an opinion on whatever you do, whether you're your authentic self, your inauthentic self. So you might as well go for the first option. Exactly. So we are just going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back with Tony. Just want to take a moment to invite you over to my place. That's my Jewish community, Smashing Life, a place for everyone, Jewish or Jewish, to feel welcome. It's a non judgmental Jewish community that nourishes and empowers you and gives you everything you need to feel Jewish at heart and supercharged in life, hosted by me, Karen Cinnamon. I'm going to hand over to one of our members, Jeanette, uh, so you can hear what she has to say about Smashing Life. I love all the perks of being in Smashing Life, from the masterclasses to the resources to the discounts to the opportunity to crowdsource in the Facebook group. It all provides so many great benefits. We also have forums, recipes, book clubs, craft clubs, modern Jewish life experts, Zoom Kabbalah Shabbats, monthly expert masterclasses, social events, online and real life, discounts, gifts, and I could go on and on. It really is the place for every Jewish woman. It is super inclusive, super warm, um, and I invite you to come and join us and connect with me and hundreds of other like-minded Jewish women from all over the world. You'll find a beautiful community local to you, and you'll also create new Jewish friends all over the world to share Jewish culture and joy with and learn Jewish rituals that will fill your life with purpose. So head on over to smashinglife.club and come join us. So Tony, I know amongst other things you've used your platform to shed light on Jews of color and the breadth and the many Jews of color. And and and, and I think there is still um, so much to learn and understand about the Jews of color community. Can you talk a little bit about, is that important to you with your platform? Have you found that you've educated people about that? Is it, can can we just talk a little bit about that, that identity as a Jew, as a Jew of color, how it makes up your sort of content in general? Bear in mind, you've got the the, the from Jewish black boy name. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) You're not shying away from those. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I could I could really talk about this for hours, uh, and I know we have such a, a limited amount of time. This is really my my passion. This is where I, I I wake up every day excited to talk to anyone and everyone about it. I'll start by saying Jews of color is sort of a umbrella term. It encompasses 
Black American Jews, whether by birth or by uh, conversion, Jews that come from biracial families. I think here in America, when we talk about Jews of color, we also bring in Mizrahi, Sephardic Jews, Ethiopian Jews, Yemenite Jews, essentially anyone whose whose skin is just slightly more brown than maybe your you know average white person sort of walking in the streets. And it's it's such a diverse, such a diverse. Diverse, diverse, diverse community. Um, oh, also Asian Jews are in, in in that group when we talk about Jews of color. And it's I like just to say it's diverse, like doesn't really give it justice or, or or credit. I think when people, at least here, you know, in my community, when they think of diversity within the Jewish community, uh, I, I feel like we've all seen those posters in a synagogue where it's like, what does a Jew look like? It's a green poster, and it's literally got Jews from from all over the world, most of the people on that that poster are some shade of brown. They're in like very traditional ethnic clothing. Um, never a fan of the word ethnic, but I don't know what other word to use in this instance. <laughs> um, and I think for many people, they see that poster and they're like, oh, that's, that's what the Jewish world can look like. But in reality, that's what the Jewish world does look like. And what I really strive to do in TikTok in particular is to really highlight and lift up some of those voices and stories. So in February of 2021, uh, for Black History Month, I did an entire series of Jewish Black folk you should know. Uh, it had lots of famous people that I think everyone knows are sort of Black and Jewish, like Drake, Doja Cat, um, the late great Broadway actress Nell Carter, um, but also had, you know, what I like to say are, are regular people, but in my head, they're like superstars. Uh, Rabbi Sandra Lawson, uh, Alana Kaufman of the Jews of Color Initiative, the award-winning Michael Twitty, um, really people that are just living their authentic lives, who happen to be Jewish, who also happen to be Black. Um, Rabbi Angela uh, Bukdal from New York, you know, happens to be Jewish, happens to be to be Asian as well. And so like really uplifting those stories. I don't think she'll kill me if I tell the story, but I was on a call with Rabbi Sandra and she was... I saw a video that she had made on TikTok responding to someone who was essentially challenging her Jewish identity, challenging, you know, her being Ashkenazi. Uh, and she said, I can be Black and Jewish and Ashkenazi. And there are people that are Black, Jewish, and Sephardic. There are people that are Black and Jewish and Mizrahi. There are, you know, all of these different traditions. Uh, I think it's so complicated for people, both Jews and non-Jews, to understand that Judaism is is so much more than a religion, it's so much more than an ethnic group, it's so much more than this this cultural identity. And because there have been lots of incredibly racist laws in the past that like determined this is if you fit these, you know, this uh, uh, category or you had these qualities, you were Jew and Jews were X race. And it just it's all become so muddled. We as Jews, we as the Jewish community have also internalized that. And so when we're having these conversations about what does it mean to be a Jew and a person of color, or what does it mean to be a Jew and Mizrahi or Sephardic, it's all really, really, really tangled. And you you have to be incredibly knowledgeable to talk about these things. And I think so many people don't talk about them because they don't feel knowledgeable enough. And they're like, well, you know, I have this one person in my community and I, I don't want to tokenize them by asking them. And in some cases, like it's almost unavoidable, but it's a, it's a, it's, there's so much diversity. There's, yeah. There's just so much diversity within the community. You know, there's, I've certainly heard many stories. I'm sure others listening have as well about how we can do so much more to make Jews of color feel welcome within our own Jewish community. Let's look inside before we judge racism on the outside what can we what can anyone listening what can I do to to make sure we we do things correctly you know I don't know whether the phrase is correct to to make Jews of color feel equally as welcoming can you because I it just sounds so awful but you know what I'm trying to say like what can absolutely we, yeah any any sort of practical practical tips advice that 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 you've got absolutely I I think when we are taking, when we as a Jewish community are taking a look at, I would say the statement, you know, and I've seen it on so many synagogue doors, I've seen it in so many federation buildings, we are welcoming to, and then list off any number groups of people, ethnic backgrounds, whatever. But I think the reality is 
when those communities were built, those people were not, they weren't in mind. We, you know, we didn't think about how physically accessible is, is the building, how physically accessible is our program. We, we didn't think about that in terms of, of leadership. And I know that the community, I think, is really, I think the, the world right now is really starting to have that conversation of what does it look like if we have, you know, a Black woman leading our organization? What does it look like if we have an Asian person leading? You know, if we say that we are serving everyone, but then our board, our entire leadership team are like all white men as a, as a, you know, maybe I'm not a 75 year old white man, but like as a 75 year old white man, your life experience and the way that you move in the world is very different than 34 year old black queer Orthodox Tony's way of moving through the world. And so I, I would say really taking a look at how your community is designed or who are the people that are showing up? Who are the people that are not showing up? How do you think you can attract them? Um, really listening and believing people of color when they tell you their experiences. And this is both the positive experiences and the negative experiences. But if, and I'm going to lean into the negative for just a moment. If someone says, oh, I went to the store, someone followed me around and I was with, you know, two white friends. And I told, I told my friends that and they didn't believe me. They just thought that the sales clerk was trying to help me find something. Instead of, I think, trying to explain it away or say, oh, give a different reading to use some sort of Jewish traditional uh, speech to give a different reading on the situation, really sit and listen to that person telling their experience and just be present. I think so often in my experience, my white friends, and I know they'll be listening to this and they will totally agree, their natural instinct is to just dive in and to do something. And often in the moment, you, you can't do anything but be present and to listen. And then of course, on sort of practical levels, you know, when we sort of get up higher in the food chain, making sure that policies reflect the diversity of the community that we're serving, make sure that things are as accessible, whether that's a physical thing, you know, getting rid of stairs and putting in an elevator, making print larger, not exclusively using Hebrew text, having maybe Hebrew and English or, or Spanish or French or whatever your languages your communities are speaking so that people really feel like they, that's their home, that's a, a space that they can feel comfortable and show up fully as themselves. Thank you. I, I appreciate that and so much work to do, but I think it's about getting uncomfortable as well. Like you say, sometimes mm. in situations people are, Oh no, 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 I didn't, I didn't mean, you know, making it centering and instead of just feeling that uncomfortable feeling, listening, learning, asking questions. Um, so thank you. So in the Jewish world, who are your, who are your role models? Or do you have any Jewish heroes? Who do you look up to? I absolutely do. Rabbi Sandra Lawson, uh, who uh, is the Director of Racial Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion at the Reconstructing Judaism Rabbinical College, is a, a dear friend and colleague. And Rabbi Sandra is really just one of the most genuine human beings you will ever meet. She really walks the, the walk and talks the talk. She's not afraid of holding people accountable. She also, like, I, I think when people sort of see the body of her work, Again, because it's in the Jedi space, it's a very serious topic, but then you'll log on to TikTok and you'll see that she's doing like a weekday morning service, shacharit, sort of grounding, and she's playing guitar and she's singing. And it's, she's really just a beautiful soul. Uh, rabbi Susan Talby, who's uh, a rabbi here in St. Louis, if there was a, like a, an unproblematic Jewish version of Mother Teresa, it would be, it would be rabbi, rabbi Susan. She, again, is just a fantastic human being who, and I kid you not, she like sees, she sees you for the, the individual, the, the soul that you are. And there's, there's, there's literally never, ever any judgment from her, which I, I find to be really rare, not just like amongst rabbis, but just like, I think in the world in general. And she just, she sees you for the human being that you are. And I think it's an incredible skill. I realize I'm like naming a, a ton of women. Uh, Alana Kaufman. Good, good, yeah. Yeah. Authentic. Authentic. <laughs> um, um, Alana Kaufman, who's the executive director of the Jews of Color Initiative, really just brilliant. She's doing incredible work to to really challenge the Jewish community 
um, in terms of how we are being inclusive, how we're being more accessible, how we are building community with others in mind and not just sort of our idea of what a community can or should be. My personal friend, mentor, uh, really my Jewish mother, uh, Karen Kalish, who is simply a powerhouse. She is the Jewish Oprah uh, of the world. She seems to know everyone. She's a master connector. So much of like who I am now really comes from, from knowing her, from learning from her, and really sort of being sort of a fly on the wall when she's having you know, really important meetings or really talk, talking to these very important people. I, I learned from both her and, and my own mother that you, you talk to everyone in the room from the, the CEO to the janitor. You treat everyone with respect. And so I, 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 take, I take them as, as sort of my, really as my role models. And if I, if I can just say one last one, my, my personal hero, <laughs> and I, my mother's going to give me so much crap for this. <laughs> Go on. Is um, Barbara Streisand, uh, because <laughs> it's, it's Barbara Streisand. Um, she has really just been fearless. I mean, her body of work, I think, speaks, speaks volumes to, to what she does. Uh, but from a very young age in her career, just not taking crap from anyone. And if she has a vision of what she wants to do, what her work should look like, she does not like waver from that. And she doesn't let all of the detractors come in and say, oh, you can't do this. Nobody's listening to that anymore. And I really, I mean, I hear it in her voice when she's singing. I, I see it in her movies. I see it in the work you know, that she's doing with uh, women's heart health. Yeah, I, yeah. All, of these, all of these people are, are near and dear to my heart. Well, I've got a little surprise for you, Tony. I have arranged a Friday night dinner next Shabbat with all those women and you. How do you feel about that? <laughs> Fantastic. That is, that's really the ideal. Dreams come true on this podcast. Center. I wish, I wish. But that's your dream kind of Friday night dinner lineup. Would you like them all in the same room with you? Oh, I would love them all in the same room. Um, I, I already imagine just the the depth of, of conversations. I would also like bring Jake Cohen and Michael Twitty to come in. Oh, and Adina Sussman to like do all the Ooh. food. Uh, <laughs> I mean, no one would leave with an empty belly. Um, no one would leave before Shabbat went out either. It would be like, yes, I can't leave would... this. This is too good. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so on that note, we're going to do some like fun quick fire questions, but you don't have to answer quick fire. If you've got a longer answer, <laughs> feel free. All right. Okay. Let's go. What's your favorite Jewish tradition? My favorite Jewish tradition is all of the prep that it takes for getting ready for any holiday. I love cleaning. Oh, you're kidding me. <laughs> and I, I didn't do it this year for Passover, which was really sort of strange, or I didn't, I didn't do it in the way that I've done in the past, but I love like there's something ritualistic about the cleaning before Chag, before the holiday. Um, and I, oh my God, I just, I love it. I will throw on any, any sort of music uh, in the black community. There's like an entire, like, it's like late eighties, early nineties R and B uh, that I remember from my childhood that my parents would play. And it was always a trick, right? So they would be like, oh, here's this fabulous breakfast. And the moment I would hear like Luther Vandross come on, I was like, oh, that means we're cleaning. That's... <laughs> but now as an adult, <laughs> right. But now as an adult, I'll like throw on Luther Vandross and I'm just like, you know, dancing and just really rocking out uh, oh, like while you. I'm scrubbing the counter within an inch of my life. <laughs> you could Have you heard of Mrs. Hinch? I have not. Okay. So look her up. She is a huge clean fluencer, as they're called. Ooh. In the United Kingdom, she's got something like 4 million followers and she has made millions from creating cleaning content, cleaning reels, cleaning this, cleaning that. And I'm wondering whether you could be the new, the American Mrs. Hinch <laughs> with a Jewish twist. <laughs> Maybe. I like that. Um, but I certainly would need to see some, some fun reels of you, of you cleaning and dancing. I'm, I'm, I'm ready for that. Um, favorite Jewish food? Every imaginable way, uh, with toppings, without toppings, with fillings. Uh, I I love bread, and if I could, I would probably just turn my body into bread. So I would always have just a little something to <laughs> nosh on. <laughs> That's brilliant. Well, I'm going to do some foodie ones now. Then, um, matzo ball soup or bagels with locks? If I had to choose, I would choose matzo ball soup. I, I love a good bagel and locks, but 
there's something about matzo ball soup that just hits the like the core of my soul. Hummus as an appetizer or a main dish? So if I'm if I'm back home in Jerusalem, I would say hummus as a main dish, uh, particularly uh, hummus in basar, uh, hummus with meat. Um, but like everywhere else, it doesn't make sense for it to be its yeah. own meal. It has to be a side dish. <laughs> Great answer. Exactly. You don't want supermarket hummus as a main dish. No, thank you. Yes. Um, shawarma or shakshuka? <laughs> oh, shakshuka all the time. Smashing the glass or a big horror? A big horror. I had one for my bar mitzvah and it there were like six or seven circles that just kept spinning and it, it felt like we were dancing the horror for like an hour. <laughs> <laughs> Home-cooked, elaborate Shabbat dinner or Chinese takeout Shabbat? <laughs> hmm. I would say at Christmas here in the U.S., definitely the Chinese takeout. Um, there's a place here in St. Louis that can do it sort of kosher style. It used to be in the heart of like the Orthodox Jewish community. Uh, and when the community started moving, they continued doing this. Um, so definitely like around Christmas time here in America, because, you know, it always feels strange to be a Jew at Christmas, particularly in America when they're shoving it so far yeah. down your throat. Yeah. Uh, but I love the elaborate home cooked Shabbat meals. In fact, I'm actually uh, right after this, I'm going to the the store because I am post, I, it's like an episode of the marvelous Mrs. Uh, Mizell. Yeah. Um, where I have the rabbis coming over for for shabbat dinner and so i'm like pulling out all the stops you go for it all right um if you could have a billboard with anything on it what would it be and why a billboard with anything on it it would be my face um sort of like (laughs) pointing love it it. um think of like the the american uncle sam of like we want you uh, but my (laughs) face um and it would say i'm not a rabbi that's okay i'll still bless you anyway Oh, uh, my a, goodness. This is so it's good. It's a chant that uh, campers at Capital Camps in Waynesboro, Pennsylvania made up for me. Uh, and I have loved it ever since. Uh, and I think there's actually something like so profound about that. Like, yes, kids sort of made this uh, sort of in sort of this joking manner. But there's something so profound that like you don't have to be a rabbi to do Jewish things. You don't have to be a rabbi to 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 know what keeping kosher means. You don't have to be a rabbi to to marry people or to engage in Jewish tradition. And so I really, I really love that. It's like, at some point, I think I had it on t-shirts and then I'd like stop making them, but yeah, I oh, love it. I, I uh, will make that billboard come. I mean, that is just so good. <laughs> are, you, are you up for a few more of these? Just a few more? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> what keeps you up at night? Ooh, um, the state of the world and the random animal YouTube videos that I find. <laughs> Love your answers. Oh my goodness, it's so good. Um, what are you passionate about? Is it the same answers? <laughs> the state of the world and YouTube yeah. videos. Um, yeah. I I'm really passionate about just authentic living, really helping people, connecting people to, to whatever, whatever it is. If you are someone who's super interested in sports, I, I'm not a sports person. I literally refer to everything, including hockey, as sports ball. But I'm happy to find <laughs> someone like in our community that you can connect with because I feel like it's it's a thing that I'm really good at without without trying. And I think really helping people sort of figure out what their passions are. That's that's also like one of the things that keeps me up at night of like, oh well, how can I how can I continue to help people? How can I continue to do all of these like cool, crazy things? And finally, if you could spend Shabbat hold up with one Jewish celebrity, who would it be and why? It would actually be Rabbi Alyssa Stanton, who is the first American Black woman rabbi. I think I think when her story gets told, she's still alive today, so I'm not like saying it as if she's like has passed away already. But her story to me seems like this very almost it's not tragic. It just seems sad. I think the the congregation that hired her like right as she graduated, like many other Jewish organizations hadn't done the work to both prepare themselves and their community to be led by a Jewish person who wasn't, who didn't look like them. Um, and so there were lots of things that were already in place that I think were real challenges for her. And so she was like really celebrated and praised when she graduated, landed this job, 
and if I'm remembering correctly, left the position, got fired, I can't quite remember. But I would love to just sit and talk with her and really just like hear hear her story, learn from her, hear what we like what I could do, what the Jewish community can do to like really better prepare communities for what I see as a an incoming wave of diverse Jewish leaders that don't look traditionally the way we we think someone Jewish looks. Tony, I love that. And I talk about being inspired and learning from I have learned so much today from you and I just feel energized to go out there and, you know, live my Jewish life even more than, than uh, the normal. And I'm sure everyone listening will feel the same. I'd love you to come into our Smashing Life community maybe and do a masterclass for my my members on kind of, like, well, we'll discuss titles, but sort of, I don't know, leaning into your absolute authentic Jewish self. I think we feel as a community often restrained, like the right way to be Jewish, uh, all this kind of stuff. And I just... I just want more of you selfishly. So, <laughs> so maybe off air, we can discuss, we can discuss that. Um, if, if that's something you'd, you'd love to do too. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, Tony, it's been great today. Thank you for coming on. Thank you so much for having me. This was absolutely fantastic. If this episode inspired you in some way, I'd love you to take a screenshot of you listening on your device and post it to your Instagram stories and tag me at your Jewish life. I'd love to connect with you on Instagram and be your Instagram friend. That would be fun. And I'd also love you to subscribe and share the episode with anyone you know who might benefit from it. I'd love you to leave a review as well. All these ways make sure that more people get to listen to the podcast and get inspired to live their Jewish life their way and we can spread the Jewish joy. So that would be a lovely mitzvah if you wanted to leave a review or share this episode with a friend or subscribe. One more thing I want to tell you about just before I go today is I've got a really great handy checklist for you if you are trying to build a Jewish home or you've got a home and you want to make it more Jewish or you just want to feel more Jewish at home. And it is a free checklist for everything you need in a modern Jewish home, literally covering everything you need to set up your modern Jewish home. If you've got a lot of these things, it's just a great reminder. There's links to everything you need as well. So it's it's really handy in that way too. And there's checklists for Rosh Hashanah, Shabbat, Hanukkah, Passover, and lots of minor Jewish holidays as well. And all sorts of fun ideas for the items too. So just head to yourjewishlife.co slash Jewish home if you want to grab that checklist. That's yourjewishlife.co, that's .co slash Jewish home, all one word. And the checklist is for you, whether you're Jewish, Jewish, or becoming Jewish. Let me know what you think. Drop me a line on Instagram and have a great day.